What's up, what's up, Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because being able to go out in the world and find profit is a skill to recession-proof your life. In this episode, you'll learn one unique way to go out and find that profit in your hometown by buying low and selling high. It's one of the oldest business models in the book and one that still works today. In fact, today's guest is a master of finding that profit and specializes in flipping a product that you probably have in your pocket right now. Maybe you're even listening to this podcast on it, and that's your phone. With a target of $100 in profit per flip, Jeff Duyon of the Smart Flippers Facebook group is reselling 20 to 30 used cell phones a week. It's a side hustle that can be as small or as big as you want to take it, but like any business, there are some pros and cons here. Stick around in this one to learn how to source profitable inventory, the easiest places to resell your phones once you do get them, and how to not get scammed. Notes and links for this one are at sidehustlenation.com slash Jeff, J-E-F-F. And while you're there, make sure to download my free list of the 20 plus best things to flip for a profit. I'll be back after this call with Jeff. Ready? Let's do it. Right now, what's working best is Facebook ads. If you are wanting to start kind of on the lower end and you have a smaller budget, you can find a lot of deals in a lot of cities just by looking on Facebook Marketplace. You know, the next question people usually ask me is, well, like, why don't they just sell it for more? And the truth is not everybody knows the value that the market is willing to pay. And so that's where uh, that's where you can come in and scoop up some good deals. Imagine if somebody is posting it a phone significantly underpriced on marketplace. They got to be flooded with, with inquiries. And at least for the few things that I've listed, it's like, oh, shoot, you know, I had 10 people reaching out like in the first 15 minutes. Apparently I've underpriced this. Like I imagine maybe a similar reaction here or people are just like, hey, you know, I'm happy with whatever price I listed it at and, and I can be done with it. Yeah, so I have some methods there. The bigger the city, the more that's going to be a problem because they're going to have you know, they're posting it for hundreds of thousands or millions of people. And sometimes let's say they have a 12 Pro Max and they could easily sell it for $600 and they post it for 400. They are going to have everybody, people that don't even want a phone are going to be hitting them up (laughs) trying to get that phone. And because I know that, and because I know the value for real, half of those people are going to hit them up and try to get them to do less, which is insane. I know what's going to happen. So I hit them up and I would say, Hey, I'll do 450. Or I'll just say 450. So I'll I will bid higher than the price they're actually asking for. And if they agree to that, what I'll do is I'll say, Great, Marcus sold, and I'll put like smiley face, so I'm not like sounding too demanding. And then I'll try to exchange numbers with them, get them all sort of off the app, and then I'll be I'll be on my way. So that does happen. And the bigger the city, the, the harder it will be to actually get that deal because people like me will come along and uh, go ahead and bid that thing up. With so many different models of phones and carriers and like different variables there do you keep like a a price sheet you know behind the laptop screen of like well this model with this storage from this year in this condition is worth x like and it's got to be constantly changing so how do you know i guess the the spread you know the buy price that you're looking for based on you know all those different factors that is probably the hardest learning curve in the business finding deals is can be tricky but I have, a, uh, I have a price sheet that goes over what I can for sure get for it after I buy it. And then if there's a broken back or broken camera, some of the deductions that would go along with buying that phone. And so it's, uh, and, and then that price sheet from the company that I use is updated um, on a daily basis. So I know within a pretty good range, you know, and, and of course the prices are always going down, but they go down for a bigger buyer of phones. They go down slowly, you know, five, 10 bucks, maybe every other week or every few months or something like that. So the prices are st- a little more steady than you would, than you might imagine. Okay. Interesting. So it sounds like you're not necessarily flipping these to another end user customer. You're flipping them to another like bulk buyer, another middleman, like a middle middleman. Yeah. I'm like a middle middleman. There's times in the year, like now is one of them where if you're buying a phone used, it's usually going to be better to go ahead and relist it yourself locally and get maybe an additional 50 to to $100 for that exact same phone. But as the year goes on, because one iPhone comes out every year and the market sort of knows that, the end user is still paying the same whatever, $1,100 for the phone. But on the back end, people are not willing to pay near as much because they know that the next latest greatest is coming out. So then in those cases, it will make more sense a lot of times to go ahead and just you know mail that off to a, a bulk buyer. 
and do the uh, middle middleman thing. To find these bulk buyers, is it as simple as like Googling bulk phone buyers near me type of thing? Or are there just like a few kind of national players in this space? You know, anyone can get a list to a, to a direct buyer is what they call them. Let's just say there's hundreds of them. But if you were to go on the internet and say, hey, I need a direct buyer, that might not lead you anywhere. So it's like you almost have to be in the, in the know, but it's not like something that's hidden behind some, some massive paywall either. So Do the prices vary from direct buyer to direct buyer? A little bit. What you're looking for is someone that you, that you can trust, someone that you know that when you... Because see, a lot of times you're mailing off the phones to them and then they're getting them and then inspecting them and then paying you. So the main thing would be you want to have a referral from someone that you trust. It's like, yeah, hey, this company's good. Any that you're willing to share on air? I don't I'd want to make you like divulge all your secrets, but like, uh, you give, give us something here. There's a company called Atlas Mobile, and they're probably one of the bigger ones. And they've always been good to me. They're up in uh, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. If you want, I can send you the link to them for their uh, for their price sheet. Then you can put that in the show notes page. Yeah, and I'm you know happy to refer them to anyone. And so I'm to get to their level is like is a whole is a whole nother beast that I may or may not pursue. They buy from you at, you know, based on the price sheet that you're showing me, like pretty nice prices. Like, I don't know. And then, so what's their game with it? Are they moving this on to another retail customer? So I don't know their whole scheme, but I know that a lot of phones end up actually getting sent back to Hong Kong. They're buying them for, yeah, for more than I'm selling them to them for. I would assume that they're fixing uh, what they can fix and then getting the the upcharge. Let's say it has a broken back and they're like, okay, it's a $100 fee. When it's a broken back, if you send it to us like that, it would only make sense to me that they would fix that back because fixing a back is maybe a $5 part, you know, some, plus some labor. Okay. And so then they fix that and then they get the extra, let's say, $90, dollars $90 to go ahead and get, get that full value when they ship it back to Hong Kong. And do you do any of the repairs yourself if you acquire something with a cracked screen or something else that's wrong with it? No, I, I don't personally fix any phones. But I was fortunate enough to link up with a guy in my city. Within reason, he'll fix just about anything. And he'll charge me $20 labor on top of his parts charge. And at one time, I started thinking, man, I'm going to teach my little seven-year-old this. We're gonna, I'm going to get some screens myself. And I start pricing it out. But he's getting the parts for like $20 cheaper than I can because he buys in bulk. Sure, sure. So there's at some point, it would make sense and whatever. But I'm not a fixer, you know? <laughs> <laughs> all right i was just curious on that yeah yeah but it's very helpful if you have you either fix them yourself or you have someone that can do it for a reasonable rate and you can make way more you can make way more money okay so maybe starting with this price sheet either from a direct buyer or from just kind of scouring what you have seen sold listings go for on ebay on swapa on you know some of these other marketplaces and then going out and trying to source inventory for less than that. Talk to me about this Facebook ads strategy. So this is kind of, I'm picturing like the we buy houses signs, like on the side of the road. It's like we buy phones or something like that. It's really that simple. In our world, we talk about if you were to make an ad for buying phones and it looked too nice, you probably would get very bad results. You know, whereas a lot of people when they're in advertising, man, they're like having to button everything up and have these just perfect flows. When it comes to ads, you're, you're literally typing on the back of a picture of you holding a phone saying, you know, we buy iPhones and you put a list of like of things that you can take, you know, broken, whatever, blacklisted, whatever you're willing to accept for your deals. And then you go ahead and just you can do general targeting and you can do a little bit more specific targeting. So there's there's some strategies there. And that works well. And in, in most cities, to be honest, you're running these locally. I run these locally and I have some paid ad clients that I, me and my partner run them for on um, flipmorephones.com. And yeah, we find that some cities, they'll cost more. But when you have someone that's approaching you for a price versus an entire city, you have a little bit more bargaining power, let's say. And so I find that, you know, $100 a phone can easily be $150 to $200 a phone. Obviously, that's that's going to be a, a big advantage to have someone that's just asking you rather than you're having to fight with every person in town to try to get that phone. Right. So it's okay. Well, it costs you nothing to acquire inventory, acquire customer outside of the purchase price for the product. If you're sourcing on Craigslist, offer up Facebook Marketplace. So here you're kind of becoming the the go-to person by being proactive about it. Hey, we buy phones. People are reaching out to you directly versus having a bunch of potential buyers reach out to them, knowing that they have something that they want. Local targeting, 
Anything else like on the demographic filters that you have found to work well, lower your cost of impressions or cost per action here? So Instagram, I find, is a good target, especially in bigger cities. A lot of bigger cities have uh, just a very active Instagram following and Instagram doesn't have Facebook Marketplace. And it tends to be a one or the other thing Like people that are very into Instagram don't really go on Facebook much. And so because there's no marketplace on Instagram, they don't exactly, they're not up to date with their prices. And so again, again, you have a little more bargaining power to where you're saying, yeah, I'll do, you know, X price. And on Facebook, you run into a lot more people that are like, nah, I've done my research and uh, I'm not letting it go for less than X, Y, Z. And sometimes that is like double what you could pay on your best day of your life. And just because people see those things listed for those prices, they think, well, I can get that too, right? So that can be the issue on, on Facebook is that you uh, you have people that list stuff for prices, but that doesn't mean necessarily that they're getting it. Yeah, but most people are thinking, oh, well, I saw it listed for $500. And it's like, well, that's going to be up there for a while because that thing is worth you know half of that to a person that needs a phone for themselves, right? Much less to a person like me that wants to buy it for below that. That's interesting. Targeting... So it's, you know, run through the Facebook ads platform because obviously they own both Instagram and Facebook, but really, I really only want this ad to show up on Instagram. I see better results over there. What's the call to action? Is it uh, send us a direct message or, or start a messenger conversation? Is it go to our website, fill in this contact form? What's the ask in the ad? Yeah. So you're saying, you're saying something to the effect of we buy iPhones, you know, and then you put what you'll buy and then you put maybe, you know, cash same day. And then from there, you're saying, get a quote. They click on it and it instantly sends them a message and then then you're in conversation with them. A lot of people don't like to do this, but I do. I like to put my number in the picture and in sort of the button right next to the call to action because I want maximum people to, you know, to, to hit me up. And some people don't like, you know, random people hitting up their, their phone. So it's sort of a comfort level thing, depending on who you are. It's not a funnel or anything. It's just a direct, uh, direct to DMs. And like, you're not even running a pixel and seasoning that and doing all that stuff. You just, uh, you're running a direct ad. Yeah. And so they send you a message and then you can ask, well, what model do you have? What kind of shape it is in? Can you send me some pictures? Like that kind of thing. So you know what kind of offer to make. Yeah. And you, you can distill it, you know, and over time you can distill it down to things that are like most likely to happen and stick with those core questions. So you're not really, really grinding on them, all these questions. Um, and for me, that's mainly, you know, are there any issues? What carrier or is it unlocked? And how many gigs? You know, how much memory on it? And so from there, I can get most of what I need to know from there. Do you find people are mostly being honest there? Mostly honest, but when you meet up with them, you want to go through a sort of checklist of things that you want to check. Maybe face ID, cracks, camera front and back. There's a way to run the IMEI on a website called SickW. It's a pay to use, but it's cheap. You know, it's maybe 30 cents to, to run an, uh, an IMEI. IMEI, sorry. This is like the unique identifier of the phone. IMEI, yeah. It's, I mean, if you want me to spell it out, it's like International Mobile Equipment Identification Number, something like that. <laughs> okay. But yeah, that's like the serial number that tells you everything you need to know. Like what model, how many gigabytes, is it, you know, does it have payment issues? Has it been reported lost or stolen? Is there iCloud that's stuck on there? There's, you know, it, it tells you pretty much all the things that the person that has a phone might not even know about the phone themselves. Okay. What kind of red flags are there when you run that search? So depending on your comfort level, because people will come to you with different stories like, oh, I, I reported lost and then I, then I found it, you know? And some people might be like, eh, I don't want to do that. It'll tell you how many gigs... Because a lot of people, when they're, when they're typing the title on Facebook, and I made this mistake more times than I care to admit, but it's like they're typing iPhone Pro Max or, or 12 Pro Max, and then it'll pop up and say 256 as one of the options. And maybe they'll accidentally like autofill that and they say 256. And then you get there and it's 128. And the difference in price, let's just say is $100. Well, you want to make $100 and now you got a break-even phone and you're there. And to get them to go down another 100 is a big ask, even though they're wrong and you're kind of right. Yeah. So one thing I'll do is I'll like say, okay, so I see here that you say it has, you know, it's 12 Pro Max, no problems, and 256 gigs. Is that correct? And if I'm going to be driving a long way, I'll say, please send me the IMEI. And 
some people will give you some pushback on that and they just won't want to send it. They'll think, you know, you're going to hack their phone. Or, is there a risk in, in that? Like, could you, given that number, could you do something bad? I know how to personally, <laughs> but I would never do that. I'm trying to buy their phone. I do hate when I get pushback on it because it's like, what'll happen is, just being honest, is if they say they won't send it nine times out of 10, for whatever reason, that deal won't go down. Like they'll lose trust in me and I'll sort of be like, well, I guess you're not serious. So it'll almost be like this two-way streak and then we end up not meeting up. Okay. Inter- yeah. Um, it's like, uh, you know, is, is it really safe to share? Is like sharing your social on the internet or something? I guess there's people that could, that you can black, essentially like there's a website I can go to where I can just blacklist your phone and make it to where it won't work. I think that's kind of messed up. Like, I don't know why anyone would do that, but I guess that's a, a fair enough reason not to want to send it. But I haven't heard of any like syndicates out there that are like doing this on like some coordinated basis where they're just asking people for, you know, the IME high and it's like, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, like what is what does that gain you as a as a reseller? Like absolutely nothing. Absolutely okay. nothing. Right. This edition of the Side Hustle Show is brought to you by FreshBooks.com. And I've got another phone in testimonial for you this week. This is Miranda Marquit from plantingmoneyseeds.com and adulting.tv. I use FreshBooks and I have been using FreshBooks for several years now. And I love FreshBooks because it gives me the chance to quickly and easily invoice clients and get paid. There are so many great features on FreshBooks from recurring invoices to templates to the fact that I can easily log in and see my dashboard and see who has paid and who needs a reminder to pay me. So FreshBooks is a great way to get paid. The fees are pretty low. And if you choose the e-check option, you can also get a discount on your PayPal fees. So not only does FreshBooks help me get paid faster, it also ensures I save money. Visit freshbooks.com slash side hustle to start your 30-day free trial today. That's freshbooks.com slash side hustle and enter the side hustle show in the how did you hear about us section. Hey, entrepreneurs, we know that anyone with a side hustle loves finding new ways to save. So if your business takes you on the road, sign up for a free membership with Hertz Business Rewards. Work trips, client meetings, industry conferences with Hertz Business Rewards, you'll save at least 20% every time you rent a car. And you'll save on more than just the daily rate. Members earn credits redeemable towards free rental days. It's also free to add an additional driver if any additional coworkers come along. And for those Gen Z entrepreneurs out there, no young renter fees. Plus, sign up for Hertz Business Rewards today and earn three times credits during your first 90 days. So whether you're traveling for a side hustle or a main hustle, join for free at Hertz.com slash business rewards. Applies to base rate, taxes, fees, and options excluded. Additional terms and exclusions apply. Visit Hertz.com slash business rewards to learn more. Okay, so you're trying to get this as much information as you can up front, especially since you're meeting in person, you're taking time to drive across town in some cases to meet up with this person in some Starbucks parking lot to say, here's this deal, and then verifying that it is what they say it is. Any, anything else that goes on during that um, meet and greet, you know, quality check? I think, you know, some of the phones are so technical, it only works on this carrier or it's got to be unlocked. I, you know, it makes me a little bit nervous to be plunking down 800 bucks for this thing that's kind of a, a little bit of a wild card. Well, is it going to work? Is it not? It's tough. And I, I think we had talked about this before. It was like, if you're doing any new niche, there's just so many concerns about things you don't know that could mess you up. So I will say that a lot of people say their phone's unlocked. And what they mean is that it's not like iCloud locked or it's not passcode locked. The kind of way that you're able to navigate that is you'll say like, what carrier or unlock? So if I just say, is it unlocked? They'll say, you know, they'll say, yeah, it's unlocked. And half of them mean not what I'm asking them, right? So you have to ask the question correctly. And then if you have the IMEI, it'll say it's T-Mobile and it's locked to T-Mobile. So then you have to, you have to further segment that down and say, okay, you have to learn more about like how often does T-Mobile black, you know, blacklist a phone for being, for missing payments. And they do it the most, by the way. So they're the most pain to deal with. But if they've made payments for over four months, you sort of can loosely go by like, okay, it's six months old and it hasn't, you know, it still works. So we're probably good, right? I could, I could resell this locally if I wanted to. But if they're coming to me with a phone that's like three months old and it's T-Mobile, well, 
I'm going to have to work a price where I can send that to a uh, direct buyer. Who's selling a three-month-old phone, man? I keep these things for years until they stop working. It can be hard to get into the mindset of people that do things like this, but people finance the phones, right? They're getting them, quote, for free to them, but it's on the back end, it's worth $600 and their lights are getting cut off and they need money. And it's just crazy. You know, it's, I, I'm with you. I use my phone for as long as that thing will let me. I'm already buying 13 Pro Maxes. I mean, this is wild. Which came out like a month ago or something. A month like, ago. Seems... Yeah. I've already bought like two of them. It's crazy. So how does that work? If it's not technically paid for, paid off, like if I'm going to buy a used car that still has a loan on it, like then the, the dealer or whoever else is the lender, like has a lien on the vehicle, like does T-Mobile, do the, the carriers who are subsidizing the initial purchase, do they need to get paid out and then it's, you know, free and clear? Like how does that part work? So when you finance a phone, it's sort of like a separate bill that you're paying. And there's two groups of people. Some people are just like, hey, I need the money and I don't want to mess up my credit. So I'm going to keep paying on it. And then there's some people that won't keep paying on it. And then every carrier has a sort of a threshold where they say, well, we got enough back. You know, we got three, four payments and we probably had double that in it, but that happens only 25% of the time. So we're, you know, they, they have sort of like a, and I don't know the, the ends of this, like from the inside, but from what I've seen, as far as when they'll blacklist them for payments, each one has sort of this threshold. So we're like, if you went into the store and said, yep, I'm getting a 13 pro max and they finance the whole thing. You're like, great. And then you come to me and sell it and then walk away they're going to take that sucker down to where it's going to be uh, not usable in the United States. So, and I think that's where the Hong Kong thing comes in because you're shipping it international and then they're taking it from there. That's crazy. That's, uh, I had no idea. Like this was a, uh, this was a thing because it, it, it's, it's tempting. It's like, okay, you could buy this thing for a thousand bucks or just for, you know, 30, 40 bucks a month. We'll add it to your, uh, <laughs> you know, service contract. You're like, yeah, I'll take option B. But then people just, you know, walk away from, well, I've got this thousand dollar device. And so the companies are saying, well, we can, through this EMEI process, we can make sure this doesn't work until you start paying us again. Yes. Yes, exactly. Is there a, a rule of thumb for like, you know, how far back in terms of model years of devices? And it sounds like you're dealing primarily with iPhones, but like my iPhone six is probably not very attractive to you. Is there a model, model year that you like to stay uh, at that or newer? So there's a funny thing that happens. So yes, so they, the direct answer is yes. X's and newer usually, right? But I will, I would buy the older phones, but the people that have them, they want more than I can give them. And it's, it seems to be like by a wide margin usually. They verbally attack me and I have, you know, I got a soul. So like there's only so many beatings I want to just walk into. And so I have, a, I have like an auto message that I send when they have an, like an eight or older. And it goes something like, hey, I hate to miss deals. Just that those have gone down you know, too much in value for me to work with. Let me know if you get any newer ones. And the crazy thing is since I started sending that in sort of like a pleasant way, they'll then be like, well, what about an 11? <laughs> I don't like, why, why don't you start with that one? You know, start with the good one first. And uh, so I just avoid them. I could probably make more money if I didn't avoid them, let's say, but I would have to take much more of a verbal beating on those. And I'm just not willing to do that. Okay. You know, they're like, I've, I've had this so long. It's become part of the family. It's like, I can't part with it for this, <laughs> exactly. uh, for this price. What else? Any other, you know, risks or, you know, maybe horror stories of your own? Like, Hey, I bought this thing. It turned out to be not what was promised, or I didn't do my due diligence on this. Like trying to think of like, how else can we mitigate risk in this business? Yes, that is that is the best question. So you just have to know if you buy that phone from somebody and there's something that they didn't disclose and you didn't check it, there is a 0% chance that they will give you your money back, right? And you can count on that for sure. You will never see that person or a dollar back from that person ever again. So you have to do, you have to check them thoroughly. And there's sometimes where it could just be, hey, like two weeks later, just have a glitch, you know? So that's the... EMEI check, that's like checking the physical device itself, making sure it works. Is there anything else to make sure it's you know fit to be resold? So just because it checks out on the front end as far as the IMEI goes, it doesn't mean that they have they don't have like uh, bad intentions on the back end saying that, oh, I lost it. 
what I do and I'm pretty accurate is I just do like sort of an assessment of who I think this person is just based on the way they talk to me and, and, and meeting up with them, so on and so forth. I say, okay, this person, I, I feel like they, they're going to like report this thing lost, you know? So what happens if they do that? Then I have to sell it to a direct buyer for a little bit less than I can sell it, resell it locally for. And so, and then the other thing is if I resell it locally and then the person, you know, I have to deal with a mad customer and I have to go, I will buy the phones back. And sometimes if they're real mad, I'll give them like an extra $20 for just being a pain. And neither one of us wants that outcome, right? So I try to be a, a just a good judge of character and on my end, just be Im- impeccable with my character as well. And so if there's a problem on the back end, I go ahead and just buy exactly what I bought, what I sold it to them for, get them their money back as, as soon as possible. If somebody reports it's stolen after they sell it to you or reports it lost, then Apple cuts it off or the carrier cuts it off and it doesn't work anymore? A lot of times what that'll me- end up meaning is um, is that a phone you sold for 400 now you're going to have to go get it back from them and maybe sell it for 340 And let's say you paid you know 300 then you, um, you know, you're, you're making 40 bucks and maybe you drove, you know, further than you wanted to, to get it. And so there's like a lot of pain behind that, that purchase. And then you had to meet the person then you had to meet him again. You know, that's a time risk more than a, more than a money risk. Yeah. The other risk is, you know, if you, if you, for, if you leave the scene and you forgot to log out of their iCloud or take off their password, I don't know why, but most of the time they're not going to help you there either. You know, they're just going to say, Hey, you gave me the money. You checked it like peace out, man. I don't want to hear from you again. Okay, but now you can't access it because it's still like tied to all their information and they need their password or something. That's an important step. Like before you leave that parking lot, you know, central uh, meeting place, get together, they have to swipe the thing, confirm three times. Yes, I want to wipe this device. That's right. And also uh, the other thing is just as a good general rule, especially, you know, for women is, is meet them inside. And Nine times out of 10, they'll, they'll be pulling up asking you, what do you drive? And you're like, hey, man, I drive a white body <laughs> and I'm inside. You know what I'm saying? That is what I drive. That's one of my things. I get to like diffuse the situation because they're like, well, why you got to meet me inside? And I'm like, well, because I don't know you and I got cash in my pocket. That's enough to where I don't want you to try to take it. And that's never happened to me. It's never happened to me. It's never even come close. There's a sort of street smarts that, that goes into that, like realizing who's who's kind of looking to kind of get over on you. Okay. Yeah. Protect yourself uh, in that sense. And that could happen in any niche, but the electronics niche, just being, I want to be honest with people. I feel like I've flipped in a lot of niches and it's just more prevalent in that niche. That's really good advice. Thank you for sharing that. So you do find it is mostly cash transactions in person versus, you know, buying stuff online or you know, all Venmo you or something. So people want to see cash in hand. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people are cool with Venmo and Cash App, but nobody's cool with like sending you a phone in advance and then you paying them when it arrives. There's like zero trust there. And I even took my stab at trying to buy, you know, on Facebook Marketplace, you can do the shipping options. And so I was like, cool, man, I found some good deals. I put shipping only. I searched for phones around the country. Man, I started buying up phones by like the thousands of dollars. And at first it, was, it went kind of well. And I was like, oh, I'm never leaving my house again. Then the bad stuff started happening. You know, I got like a used wax candle. I got a, uh, like a fake Android phone. So not even the same model, not even like the, not even a reusable Android. So my chargebacks that I was having to file with my credit card got so heavy that I was like, man, they're going to like, they're going to fire me as a customer at some point if I keep doing this. I mean, I'm, maybe that's not a thing, but it feels like it, it probably would be a thing. Interesting. So the credit card company has your back in that case, like, dude, this guy scammed me, like, you know, reverse the charge. So that's at least good from that standpoint, but maybe not feasible to, you know, have those showing up consistently on your account. Yeah, then you're, you know, you're having to like, you're trying to cover yourself. So you're like filming the openings. And then you're, yeah, and even even though you file a charge back, it doesn't always go through either way. And sometimes like, Sometimes the person's like fighting it on the other end. So you're having to like follow back up. So I don't know. I, I say unless you're like big, big baller and you have a, a website that's very trustworthy on a nationwide basis, like a, there's a website called Gazelle. You can tell them exactly what you have and then they'll give you a, a value, which is super low, super, super low. But they probably get hundreds of phones a day. Unless you have that sort of setup, I, would be, I wouldn't even try that sort of thing. Yeah, that's true. There are, there are companies doing what you're doing locally on a national level and because of their scale their uh, and because of their you know marketing firepower they're saying well you know we're going <laughs> to we're going to be the low price acquisition you could sell it to us uh, 
but you know, because we need to make margin on it too. Here's the price, take it or leave it. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over 3.5 million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Did you know that roughly half of Side Hustle Nation hasn't started their side hustle yet? If that's you, I get it. Starting and building a business is tough. It takes more than just an idea. There are tons of moving parts, and it's a bit like trying to assemble your airplane in the middle of takeoff. Thankfully, our sponsor, Taylor Brands, is helping Side Hustle Show listeners make that leap and make it all a lot easier. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, making sure you have everything you need all in one place. Think of it like your behind-the-scenes partner for things like LLC formation, licenses and permits, getting an EIN, setting up your business bank account, bookkeeping and invoicing, insurance, logos, trademark protection, and a lot more. Taylor Brands helps you handle it all seamlessly. And to get you started, Side Hustle Show listeners get 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans when you use our link. That's taylorbrands.com slash side hustle. Taylor Brands, like a tailor for your clothes. T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash side hustle. Start your business journey today with the help of Taylor Brands. Okay, what else? Cash intensive. Did you start with like, okay, I'm going all in on phones. I'm going to go buy 10 of them and plunk down five or 10 grand in that first, uh, you know, first week, first month? Or was it like, okay, let me, let me dip my toes in here and see, see where this goes. Started very slow and I was thinking, okay, maybe try to get a phone a day. I was very uh, apprehensive to buy newer models. I was months before I bought a newer model. Just because of the price? Because of the price, because of the risk. Yeah, it was just, you know, uh, buying a $150 phone, $200, $300 phone versus buying, you know, six to $800 phone, let's say. Yeah. At the time in my, in my head, it just, it's like I knew I didn't know enough to keep myself safe, right? That was right on that because I ended up, yeah, I ended up in some situations where I had phones where I'd, I'd lose money. Because I just there were certain things I didn't think to check, or I didn't know to do. Some of the things I've explained here today. So, you know, I recommend most people to kind of start on the lower end. Um, at some point, what happens is you're like, God, it's the same amount of work. You, know, you hear people in sales say this, like it's the same amount of work to make a hundred to two hundred dollars as it is to try to like squeeze out thirty to fifty, sixty dollars on an older phone. At the same time, it's nice to start kind of low and slow and get the you know the older models and figured out from there. So yeah, my first purchase was like an eight plus. And, um, one of the methods that I teach is at t- like, it's rare, but at times it makes sense to buy a phone, go trade it into Apple, and then they give you a gift card. And then there's companies that'll buy those gift cards for, let's say, you know, 90% of the value. And so Atlas might give you 200 bucks for it, but Apple will give you 270 cat you know, gift card. And then you're turning around and, and selling that gift card pretty instantly for 243. Okay. I gotcha. That's an interesting angle uh, as well. Maybe maybe there's some other companies has a trade-in uh, offer there. Yeah, there's there's a lot of ways, man. A lot of ways. I forgot to ask on the acquisition side, on the Facebook ad side, is there a target cost of acquisition that you're looking for per product, per item, if that makes sense? Per message, anything under $2, I would say is good. And you could probably take that to about a $6 level before you'd start to feel like, okay, this isn't going well. Um, Cause you're closing maybe one in 10 of those leads. So I would say for me in my city, it's more like 20, $25 per deal that I get in ad costs. And then let's say if you're in Tampa or something, it might be more like $40 to get a per phone that you get. So co- cost of acquisition, let's say like on the good side, probably 10, 
in the ten twenty dollar range, and on the bad side, like the worst probably possible acceptable level would probably be somewhere in the fifty to sixty dollar range. Okay, so paying twenty five to fifty dollars for the privilege of buying, hopefully. in profit. And, you know, that's a, that's a pretty good trade, especially if you don't have to drive very far to get it and take a ton of time to do this deal on the uh, reselling side. Are you you stocking these up until you have a a shoebox full of them and then you ship them off to your direct buyer or you, you know, parsing them off, you know, onesie twosies on marketplace or, you know, to, to local buyers curious about the process logistically on the back end. The back end part is someone like me or like an entrepreneur like me will struggle with because the, the chase is fun. It's more enticing. And so the next thing you know, you'll have, you'll have like 10, 15 phones, you know, and, and we're talking five, 10 grand piles up in phones fast, you know, tons of money tied up in inventory. Yeah. Yeah. And so in and out as quickly as possible is, is the way to do it. Sometimes I'll list a phone or, or I'll list, let's say I, I buy some phones, I'll relist them on Facebook marketplace and I'll list them for like the price I'll list them for the lowest I'm willing to go just because if they, I know in my head, if they don't sell in like two days, I got to get this thing out of here. The other hard part can be that you can get more if you list it on Swappa, but Swappa as safe as it is, doesn't have a lot of traffic. So then you might be waiting on that to sell for a week, you know, and let's say you got three, four phones up there. Okay. So now you got two grand tied up and you're just like, oh, come on. And so like, you're trying to lower the price a little bit each day to try to entice someone to get it. And you have almost no control over when they're going to buy it. So best policy is that before you buy it, you have, you know what you want to do with it. You know what your backup plan is. It's a lot of like typical business advice. Like, so if I buy a phone, let's say I buy uh, an unlocked 12 pro max and I know that my direct buyer is going to give me seven seventy. I think is what it right, right now what it is. Seven seventy. I got that locked in already. Well, in order to fool with the public, general public, I want to say, okay, it's 820. I'm going to put it at 820. And I might take like, 800 if it if it's convenient you know but i'm not going to sit there for weeks on end with this phone because then um that's again that's going to pile up on me so i know that i'm going to list that phone for like two days i've done sell boom bring it bring it to my guy or shipping it off to a company and we're uh, we're moving on okay and do you send those off you know in a like flat rate box or something like that yeah yeah i use uh i don't know if you heard of this but i use ship pirates and they have a um their insurance is half the price for USPS that it is on um, on just going to USPS. So okay. USPS, if you go there, I think it's like one, let's say one point six percent of the value versus 0.8 on uh, ship pirates. And yeah, I'll ship it off in a, a USPS flat rate, you know, seven dollar fifty cent deal. And just to give you an example, I have a few recent shipments here that I'm pulling up, and I think, oh, you know, what? I don't have them pulled up. Shoot. Anyway, I um. One of them was like two phones, one was one phone, and one was like seven phones. So it depends. You know, if it's Saturday morning, that's the latest I can really ship out a deal, you know, ship out deals for the week. So I'm going to go ahead and just kind of just ship what I have and clear it out to where I know it's going to get there, you know, maybe Tuesday instead of Wednesday, right? My goal is to ship no less than five, but I'll break that rule all the time. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I guess if it's a flat rate box, you might as well uh, put as many in there as you can. But definitely, uh, I like your note on the insurance. Yes, definitely insure this if you got $4,000 worth of phones in this box. Yeah, it doesn't happen often, but it's like when it happens, it's never going to be good timing. Give me a taste of the best deal ever, and then I want to hear your your worst deal ever, like the biggest bath that you had to take. Oh, man, that's great. That's great. Um, so my best deal, a few times I've bought phones where the person came in and said, hey, it's, you know, it's iCloud locked, and it wasn't. And so I'm buying a 12 Pro Max, let's say with a cracked back for $100. And my buddy charges me 40 to fix the back. So I'm, I'm in this phone, 140 And my buyer at the time is giving me, I think, I think he ended up giving me like 740 And I did that on two phones in one day. Wow. And so, yeah, those two phones were, I think, $1,200 in uh, net profit. How did you determine that it wasn't really locked i iCloud locked i don't even know what that is oh man it's another good question uh so if they bring it in it's got a passcode lock it doesn't mean that it's iCloud lock and even if there's an iCloud logged in if it doesn't have the find my iphone on you're able to restore the phone back to factory settings and use the phone and just be good to go so if you're an iphone user and you use iCloud and you lose your phone 
the way to lock it up is to make sure that you have find my iPhone on. Cause if that's not on, then the person that got it, they know what they're doing. They go ahead and reset it and they got, they got the thing free and clear. So that's, yeah, that's like some of my, my better deals. And then uh, a few months after I started, I was like, wow, this is working. And at the time I was, I was training a lot for a, a race I was wanting to do. And uh, so I, I have a buddy from college and I say, hey, man, go, I got these three deals lined up and here's the details and here's the money for them. Just go and get them. You know, I'll pay you this much, so on and so forth, which, you know, side pro tip is have people that go and pick your stuff up for you or places and stores that work with you that can, you can drop, they can, the, the person can drop the phone off of there and maybe they charge you 20 bucks to do that. Anyway, I pay him, I get him all the money and he's a good guy, but he's an Android user. So he doesn't really know what a legit iPhone may or may not be. And he got three phones, two of them, no problem. And I get to the third one when I meet him, meet up with him and I realize immediately something's wrong. And it was a fake 11 Pro Max that I paid $750 for. And that was a, that was a 100% loss on that deal. So that is the worst case scenario. But if you're listening to this, if you've ever used an iPhone, even once you will know it is a fake. <laughs> you'll be able to tell like this just that, does not when feel people right. ask me that i'm just like look i'm not even gonna explain it you'll know but for practicality's sake you know it, it has android software on there it sort of it sort of moves slower when you turn it off it has like a little uh, i don't know almost like that walmart little symbol that, that goes around in circles instead of the actual like apple logo it's real light the camera's like a 0.1 megapixel it's just all bad yeah all bad don't touch it oh 750 dollars bath okay Tell me about a uh, a day in the life or a week in the life of of a professional phone flipper. The time required. What uh, what does that look like? So for my life would probably be different if you were single, but I, I don't work a lot of the hours actually where I'd probably be making more money. So I don't work from four thirty in the evening till seven thirty in the evening, which is like I'm literally cutting out probably the most valuable hours of the day. But that's the time I spent with my family. So I make this work. I wake up uh, usually pretty early. And my goal is to have a deal lined up before the sun comes up. That's just me as an early bird. I either, depending on how many leads I have, I already have the, the day planned. Like I'm going to be driving to this or that part of town and I have time set up, right? Okay. Uh, but if not, then I, I wake up, I will do a brief scan of like Facebook Marketplace and maybe offer up and I'll see if there's any deals and I'll, I'll message those people. I'll check the leads that have come in overnight from my paid ads, respond to them and just Again, schedule anything that needs to get scheduled. You know, again, for me personally, I hang out with uh, with my family in the morning a little bit on most days, and then by nine a.m., I've got somewhere to be. You know, I've got a, a deal to go get, or I have a buy sell repair store that I'm to not get long winded. I'm I'm sort of partnered with, so a lot of times they'll have bought deals and drop stuff off at the store. So I'll make my way over there and drop off what I want to drop off for them to sell. And I'll pick up what I need to get picked up that I want to send off. Yeah. And then from there, I'll, I'll get a few more, you know, say I'll, I'll get a few deals. I'll cut it. I'll shut it down by four o'clock. And because I'm, I'm a little more aggressive than most as far as like how far I'm willing to go. Some days involve a good bit of driving. So I'll go, I'll go up to probably 80 miles away from me. So, you know, a lot of miles in the car, a lot of miles in the car is, uh, would be a, a good way to, to put it. If you're wanting to like really, really max this out, if you want to go thousand bucks a day in most cities, you probably wouldn't need to leave your city. You probably want to run your ads maybe 25 miles out from where you are. And then you just sort of, you want to pick and choose like how much you want to make, let's say per hour or per deal. And then what's your pain threshold as far as how, how far you're willing to go to, to uh, accomplish that. Yeah. What is the pain threshold? I like this kind of call. Like I want to have a deal lined up, like as just a, a benchmark in the sand, like a, a good day is something where I've already got something lined up before the sun comes up, I'm trying to find that 150, 250, you know, whatever that target is for you. Like, where can I go find profit today? And I remember we did an episode probably back, you know, 2014 timeframe with uh, Ryan Finley ran a site called re Craigslist, just buying and selling stuff on Craigslist. And that was his whole business supported his family doing this. How can I go out? And he started with, you know, I think he had a bunch of debt that he was trying to pay off. How can I go find $50 in profit today as a side hustle? Like, how can I go out and find this money? So I like that. And what's your pain threshold? Jeff, this has been uh, fascinating stuff. I'm, you know, learning more about the ins and outs of phones than I ever knew in the past. And especially as the technology continues to get smarter and increase. What's next for you? Where do you want to take this thing? 
A lot of my focus over the last few months has been building up flip more phones and uh, smart flippers and really just pouring into other people and helping them um, succeed. And either, you know, a lot of people are, hey, they, they're good with a job, but they do want some extra money. Almost no one wants no extra money. You know, they, they, everyone <laughs> wants to make a little bit extra. So it's a, it's a gift that I have that I like to share. And so I'd like to grow more of my coaching side of things. But as that grows, I've noticed that I'm also, it's sort of helped my own life. You know, my, my personal business has grown as well. So I'd like to grow it to where I'm not only teaching people, but I have students or just people around the country that are shipping their phones into me. And I would like to possibly have a gazelle type setup where I, I get phones from all around the country. So kind of earn your way up. You don't, you don't just get to march on in, you know? Yeah, you don't get to start there. You know, it starts with that first deal. And hopefully plow the profits back into the next one and the next one and, and grow from there. Yeah. And look, side point, I, when I saw people buying and selling phones locally, at the time I was making all my money online and I was like, this is beneath me. Like just being honest, I was like, this is totally beneath me. I would never do this. And then struggles happened and I had to shut down a few businesses. And I, I found myself like, hey, I'm, I had to humble myself. I started getting deals. I did not see this getting to this point. And it has and I love it. So any day that I can wake up and buy and sell some phones and just go out and meet people in my community and provide value that way is, uh, is really enough in itself. Well, it sounds like you start to build relationships in the industry too, with different storefronts, different people who might have leads on where to get inventory, where to sell it, how to fix this stuff. And we've heard the same thing from other flippers. It's like, yes, you know, you can, you can search these public marketplaces, but everybody has access to the same stuff. It's like, it really comes as you get deeper and deeper into it from your relationships and who do you know and how do you get access to these items and this inventory before it becomes public. And once it becomes public, you know, market efficiencies start to take a place, uh, start to take place. The prices tend to go up and, and now you're kind of in the same boat as everybody else. But appreciate you sharing that. And I think this ability that you have learned, like it's a skill like anything else to go out and find profit. I think that's one uh, surefire way to recession-proof your life. And just having that in your back pocket, whatever direction you choose to go in the future will definitely serve you well. So you can find Jeff at the Smart Flippers Facebook group and flipmorephones.com, which is some training and information on how to run Facebook ads to get more inventory into your flipping business. Let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation. I would say that if you have this DNA in yourself, you'll know if you do by like how willing are you to go out there and, uh, and get these deals. And uh, I had someone that I was talking to last week and they asked me how far I'm willing to drive. And before I answered them, they, they messaged me 20 minutes <laughs> is, a, is their maximum. And I'm yeah. like, oh man, I'll drive an hour and a half to two hours if I have to. So just that innate thing inside of, uh, of the, someone with that hustle mentality is almost the biggest tip in itself because not every business model is going to be for you or for the for the listener that's hearing this. This might not be a good fit for you. It's just not it's not it. So if you're willing to just wake up and go like you said, how how am I going to find this $50 or $100 today so I can make this happen and you're willing to just really go to great lengths to make that happen, that's how you'll know that this sort of business at least is a good fit for you. That's right. You got to be willing to work for it and uh, hopefully still have some margin left over after paying for gas on those longer drives. So hopefully it's a, it's a better deal. It's enticing to, to go 80 miles out of your way and maybe you can scoop, you know, three or four of them out in one direction versus I just made this one trip and now I, I yep. spent all yep. afternoon doing this. That happens a lot. That happens a lot, by the way. Being able to kind of batch process these drives. Yeah. So you go 80 miles to get a hundred dollar profit, which is not good enough. But on the way there, somehow another deal comes up. And by the time you're coming back, you got four or $500 worth of profit that you would never would have gotten if you wouldn't have sort of almost wasted your time just by getting one deal. All right. Well, cool stuff. Again, Smart Flippers, check them out on Facebook over there and flipmorephones.com. Jeff, thanks for sharing your insight today and we'll catch up with you soon. All right. Thanks for having me. All righty. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Jeff. Anything stand out to you? Anything you noticed? couple things that uh, stood out to me. The first was just learning how the game is played. I think this is a side hustle that you have to start small with, one flip at a time. Figure out what works to source inventory in your area, 
what kind of red flags to look out for, how to verify each device is what the seller says it is. I think this is true in most businesses that you get better at it and more comfortable with it through practice. There's probably no substitute for that other than just getting in the reps. The second thing was network. The more people in and around the industry who know, like, and trust you, the better off you're going to be, the easier time that you're going to have. Jeff mentioned having a friend or colleague who helped fix broken phones. That's a great resource to have in your network. It's interesting because to me, flipping seems very much like a lone wolf type of side hustle. I'm going to go hunting for profit and it's very uh, solitary. It's me versus the world. But we've heard over and over again from flippers like Jeff, like Stacy Gallego on the podcast last year, like Rob, the flea market flipper, a lot of their deals come from people knowing what they do. I think the same is true in this business. After the toe dip phase, the dabble phase of learning if it's something that you like, if something that makes sense for you, I think it makes sense to start spreading the word and letting people in supporting or complimentary businesses know what you're looking for. So I'm reading Andrew Warner's book on running better interviews. Andrew's hosted a startup interview podcast, uh, Mixergy, for like a decade. It's called Stop Asking Questions. And one of the most important parts of the book for me is where he talks about stopping looking for one-off guests. How how am I going to fill my calendar for next week? And instead, start looking for what he called guest fountains. These are the constantly flowing sources of potential guests for him. But the idea applies to just about any recurring problem. Instead of, where can I find a phone to flip? Ask instead, where can I find a fountain of phones to flip? In Jeff's case, the uh, Facebook ads system delivers him a steady stream of qualified leads. Solve the problem with systems rather than reinventing the wheel each time. Thinking in terms of fountains instead of one-off glasses of water, I guess, to continue the metaphor. Either way, notes and links for this one are at sidehustlenation.com slash Jeff. And while you're there, make sure to download the free list of the best 20 plus things you can flip for a profit. Big thanks to Jeff for sharing his insight. Thanks to FreshBooks for sponsoring this week. Hit up freshbooks.com slash side hustle to start your 30 day completely free trial of bookkeeping bliss today. That is it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of the side hustle show, where we're exploring another unconventional rental business that went from side hustle to a nationwide operation. I'll see you then. Hustle on. What are your favorite 